Hello, Richard Del Connor here. I perform on stage and uh, television shows as the philosopher poet. When I perform, I usually play a song on flute. Um, yeah, so I think today I will too. I was actually thinking about it a minute ago. I'm not sure which one to play for today. Um, yeah, anyway, we'll find out in a minute by the time I set up put my flute together. Okay, so each podcast will be a poem, a flute song, and a discussion. And uh, yeah, I look forward to discussing my poems. So in lieu of you asking questions, I'll ask some questions and give you some answers about my poems. Uh, Today's poem was actually supposed to be Field of Dreams, but I kind of uh, decided, well, maybe we should add another poem or substitute another one because I just happened to write it and it just seems current. And I just saw an inspiring video by Oprah Winfrey so I thought, well, maybe we should, uh, you know, just record this one right now and, and get it over with. Because I was thinking about, well, maybe I can build up my following a little more and then put this Oprah Winfrey poem out. But maybe I should just do it now. Okay? So I, I was going to release it in the order I wrote it, which is about ten poems away from where we are now in my little black book. <laughs> but, okay, well, anyway, let's go ahead. I'll, I'm going to record that today. It'll be, It's called, Op- well, Oprah Winfrey Clear. Or, um, what, what actually is the title? I, I'm going to actually look it up. I'll, I'll get back to you. Let's just finish this intro real fast. Okay, so Richard O'Connor here, and welcome to the Philosopher Poet. Richard O'Connor, reading from my book, Philosopher Poet in a Field of Dreams. And this is the poem, Field of Dreams. In the middle of a lake, in a canoe, without a paddle, What would you do? Hang over the side in cold water splashing? How did you decide to end up in such a bad way today? I was trying to explain how I felt today. I said I felt like I'm standing in a field, unable to have fun and play, because my bike has a flat tire, which necessitates assessment of my current desire. Do I want to abandon my bike? No, that would be disloyal. Not like me. My character and virtues flavor my decisions, whether generous or greedy. So I'm walking in the grass, pushing along my bite, my bike, and my transportation is inferior to what I like. Will money solve my problems? Yes, I'm sure it will. Like sunlight on my gardens that I water, guard, and till. That cloudless light from heaven that praying does not enhance with with financial water to feed the garden, not requiring a chanting dance. I've built the barrels to catch the rain avoiding me. The crops are planted and hatched where sunlight can easily see. As I stand a little bored in the middle of my field of dreams, I feel inside as though I scored and I'm somehow more successful than life seems. To be rewarding my good efforts, how does life redeem the benefits of each day's work when you're solo without a team? Well, solo coyote, yes I am, but that's honestly not the plan. Karmic rewards was a heartless scam. The only good I got was becoming a good man. I watched a very inspirational video from Oprah. It was nice. She put out something. She started us off with her talking at some sort of graduation ceremony. And it was a good video. I enjoyed it. 
And uh, she said a couple of points that were very, very relevant. <clears throat> Oprah Winfrey said that the homeless need opportunity. And I thought that was an interesting point because I'm, of course, amid the homeless. And I've been trying to figure out how to help them and what they need and what the deal is. I mean, I've been in this shelter for a year. So I've got to know everybody in there. And <clears throat> I've been able to figure out why they're there. A lot of people I've been, you know, asking them lots of questions. I'm like a little reporter. Well, I am a reporter. I was <laughs> journalism in college. Anyway, um, <clears throat> the um, point is, is that only about 10% of them, like myself, I'm in the 10% that's ready and capable and willing and interested in having a job. So I would take it, but I can't get any. I'm too old or whatever, you know, they just anyway. So for whatever reason, it's okay. So I'm not, but anyway, but I'd be willing to. I'm in the 10% that could be. In fact, I am working. I'm working for myself. <clears throat> I have my own enterprises. I'm working for my nonprofit. I got nine, nine companies that aren't making any money, but I keep writing books and recording albums and radio shows <laughs> and putting them into there as if they were making money. But I'm working, so I am definitely working. I'm in the 10%. So 10% are actually interested in working. They're seeking an opportunity. Another 10% of the homeless would accept an opportunity. They don't want one. They're actually just comfortable just watching television all day. But they would take a job if you gave them one. Now, another 10% would probably be able to, you could force them. You could say, well, you can have this benefit if you work or you can do this, but you're not going to be able to get it. If they were pressured into working, another 10 to 20% perhaps, but now it's, it's, we're done. I mean, it's, um, I wouldn't hire the, any, any of the other 40 or so percent. And that means we got to figure out another solution for those people. We can't expect to just put everybody at work. You know, that a lot of these people are just not workable. They're burned out on drugs or whatever, or they <clears throat> spent 30 years doing one job that they were taught raise their family, their kids are gone, their wife's gone, and or the husband's gone, <laughs> they're both here, I got husbands and wives, well, nobody's married here, that's the other thing too, uh, marriage doesn't exist amongst the homeless, well, I mean, it does actually, I do know of some examples of it even, but um, the marriages, I could actually tell stories about those marriages, one of them is really interesting, because he gave me an in-depth story of it, uh, about how he was a successfully married homeless person, but that's the exception of the rule, we'll get to that one, it's a good story, and uh, anyway, <clears throat> I was really enjoying her thing. And the other thing she said was dreamers need protection. And that was awesome because I'm always, my whole family, I've been scorned. My family looks down on me. I've been insulted for being a dreamer my entire life. They still ridicule me for it. And my, my brothers, even a couple of years ago, were leaving messages. Dreams don't pay bills. <laughs> you know, so anyway, yeah, I've always, my family hates dreamers. They, they just, I mean, I'm a dreamer and I'm their family. And they just, they have blackballed me and made life as hard as they could for me. They've never supported one single project of mine. They've never tried to believe in anything. They won't read my books. They don't buy my records. They, they just like refuse to accept that any dream I have could be a good dream. So they won't support my dreams. So they try to make my dreams fail so that they're right to make sure that I'm not a dreamer. I'm, a, I'm living in a very, very negative family, but well, I, I was always, so, a lot of people are, my, my, my family is actually better than a lot of them. I, despite all the things that have happened and how disappointed and everything I am, I could still talk to everybody except my mother. So I, like I said, it's better than some, but here we go. <clears throat> then what else I saw in that video? Oh, what are you supposed to be doing? 
And I've been doing like that. In fact, that's why I can't talk to my mother. My mother has disowned me years ago. In fact, one of the one when she sent me a letter, a lot like saying that you know she had disowned me again, or just you know stop writing her letters and trying to be talked to her. <laughs> I was trying to like I was going to a psychi a psychotherapist, family therapist, and I was trying to get back in touch with her. But as the therapist said, after I would call my mom before the session, and, and I go into the session, and she says, "Man, just you know, she doesn't watch it in her life." <laughs> and then, well, I already knew that, but anyway, it was funny that the, the psychotherapist therapist felt sorry for me <laughs> but where where are we in fact she felt so sorry for me she had to tell me all her problems as if to make me feel better okay uh where were we uh having people in the right position to support you and that's something that i've never ever had i've never ever had a working team i've worked in construction and i've worked in some good teams and such but i myself have never had a team no no actually i do take that back i have to rescind that i've had some beautiful teams decades ago in my bands the rich live in venice that album the three of us we lived together uh, bill stewart and Vinnie loria and i in venice and ah back in the what was that 79 and 80 and 81 it was just wonderful and i and i love those guys but the team's gone but while it was a team it was amazing we were the most amazing band that's why i released that live record and we just i just couldn't let it go disappear vanish from history entirely <laughs> get that album live in venice by the rich <clears throat> said itunes let's see where were we okay <clears throat> having people in the right position that's what i really need and that's why i've been trying that's why i thought my nonprofit was going to help me i thought i could get people on the board of directors and get some people from other industries and and um companies to come in and, and beef it up and help out and provide professionalism and never been able to pull that off either but I'm still trying um <clears throat> what am I really about I have been about me since well since I've gotten since divorced and and, and off on the on the street for the last eight years I've been totally me 100% me and it's actually been really wonderful I've been pumping out a couple books or two or three books a year and <laughs> all kinds of stuff it's been wonderful being me I just need the opportunity to be me that's all that's I just I'll be me if I get the chance and and if, as far as success goes I've achieved well I haven't achieved the success that anybody else would appreciate but for me the success was writing the book. How many it sold? I mean, I want the, I, I appreciate the money, but that was never part of the plan. The plan was to make the book because I'm not making things for money. I'm making things for other reasons. I mean, I want to make money and I don't mind selling them, but obviously it's not my high priority or I'd have some money. I just make the, the project. <clears throat> my success at making all these projects, all these books and all these songs and albums, screenplays that I've written, all these are all successes. They just haven't turned into movies, but as far as me, I created them. The success is there, whether anybody else knows it or not. If I made a million bucks off it, then people say, yeah, that was a successful screenplay. But what if I wrote the same screenplay and didn't get a penny? It's still a successful screenplay. Or Anyway, anyway <clears throat> or a good one. All right, I'm a success. I can create good in the world by offering and, and helping people be more aware of themselves and intelligent. I, I think that Oprah really gets a goose, uh, you know, obviously gets goosebumps from helping people. And I can help people. So I can provide her a whole bunch more goosebumps if she could just help me help people. Because <laughs> I, I definitely like helping people. <clears throat> my, but my way of helping people is not to coddle them or even just listen to their problems. I evaluate their, their well-being, of course, every step of the way. But I'm taking people forward, not backwards. <clears throat> now, ironically, as I get to know my students, eventually I do kind of become a little bit of a psychotherapist and I've helped lots of families. In fact, I've helped all the many families get back together. Um, 
you know, through getting my students to a certain point where they could let their angers and resentments go, be in a good place, approach it rationally, and then they were able to go back and form decent relationships with their parents. It was, it was kind of wow. I was kind of impressed with myself. <laughs> but here we go. Um, <clears throat> my authentic self. I'm definitely my authentic self, but what bothers people is they don't realize I have half a dozen authentic selves. I'm the hippie coyote. I like to have fun and play acoustic guitar, sing and play flute, and be a hippie from the 60s wearing, you know, Indian-type, Native American clothing, and, and I'm a pipe carrier. So <clears throat> that's one of my identities. But I'm also Buddha Jin, and I'm the um, founder of several Kung Fu systems and a Buddhist Taoist teacher, and so I have a different identity and kind of a different demeanor when I'm talking in that character or role, shall I say. And then I'm also Richard Del Connor, the philosopher poet, in which I really just get to be me and whatever I say and think and feel. And so that's kind of like the personal level of me and how, how I'm thinking, I guess we could say. And then, of course, I've got... Uh, uh, <laughs> I, the... Um, well, it's, well, how do I put this? The um, Coyote Radio Show. I, I'm really excited. Oh, okay, let me get back to this. I was on the, I stay on the Oprah thing. I, I've... Um... <clears throat> um what did she say? I have been true to myself and developed the purpose of my soul. And that was interesting when she said the purpose of the soul because my soul has always seemed to have a purpose. And I've, I've been alienated, blackballed, black sheep, pushed out, ostracized, always still being good to people and never doing anything wrong, just sometimes not fitting in. And by not fitting in, I'm kind of like that there was a movie about an ant who was kind of a, a fixer-upper and everybody was glad to kick him out of the village, even though he was probably smarter than everybody in the village. <laughs> but, you know, not that I'm a, not that I create mayhem, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm definitely a little bit of a misfit because <clears throat> I don't think the same as everyone else. My aspirations are different than, than most people because I'm artistic and creative as opposed to wanting to get stoned and, and lazy. But anyway, here we go. Um... My purple thread. She didn't talk about that, but that's a conversation I've, I've been trying to have with myself since the 70s when I discovered Epictetus, the um, Roman philosopher. And Epictetus talked about the, the purple thread, the thing that flows through you, that connects all the things you do. And Oprah kind of said something similar to that. And I was thinking, well, I've looked at my purple thread several times as I go, and, <clears throat> and uh, my purple thread is really to help humanity. I got this, like, I wish I could have got a better one, like, you know, one to build the Taj Mahal or something. But now my purple thread is to help humanity, help people be smarter and happier. Don't ask me why, because I really don't have, I've never been able to figure out why, but it's been a lifelong purpose and I've just resolved to it and I feel good about it. <laughs> so you know, sometimes you just have to accept. <clears throat> and it just seems like, okay, I, I, I think it's a reasonable thing to do and I can do it and I think it's a good thing to do and I think something needs to be done. And so, wow, it's just stepping up and wearing the shoes, I guess. So anyway, I, I had a little thing I was actually thinking of saying, I've got all this rambling on the front of this, but I was going to think about <clears throat> kind of making this into a little letter to Oprah Winfrey herself. And I kind of wrote this little thing to her. It says, Oprah Winfrey, help me to touch other people's lives, Oprah. I have helped many. I'm always helping someone. But my years are fleeting, and there is much I have to offer. I'm a 65. P.S. I love how you offer much more than hope. You provide useful information for people to improve their lives. I have transformed lives and need someone to transform my reality into a successful reality so that people will be able to, well, take me serious for one thing, but they'll be able to access me and I can access them and I can improve my own life by living in a house again. <laughs> oh, let's see. So 
What's it? Oh, my poem. Oh, I'm going to read it. I'm going to, I haven't recorded it yet, but I'm going to record it and put it in front of this thing. I think this letter. So I'm hoping that the letter might attract her to the poem might attract her to the letter. I'm not actually, I wrote the letter just instinctively, but I'm, anyway, here's a little thing I wrote about this poem, which I'll read in a minute. Um, <laughs> it says, although my poem may have agitated those I criticized, uh, I didn't seek to dishonor anyone in any way. I look forward to actually meeting and having conversations with all those I criticized in my poem. And lastly, Oprah, can I inspire you to help the philosopher poet, which is me, um, currently residing with his cat, my cat named Bear, in a homeless shelter in North Hollywood. I've been there for over a year. Sheesh. Uh, but oh, anyway, can you help to propose, <laughs> can you promote my book, Philosopher Poet in a Field of Dreams? Huh. This dreamer could use some help. Anyway, thank you everybody out there who's listening. Hey, go everybody, go buy my book and my, maybe my dreams will start coming true. Oprah Winfrey made clear. I just read Oprah's new book. Although intended to be inspiring, it made me chuckle. I was attracted by the title, Path Made Clear, and prepared for an enlightenment suckle. But I discovered she's merely discovering, without a direction or purpose, once they've stumbled upon contentment, they share their absolved confusement as if they should somehow alert us. But these are all kids who are lost in trees, without knowing it isn't a forest. All these peaceful authors inside share when they become escapees, now adapted to be adored by us. Um, anyway, excuse me. These are celebrity voices who may have made lots of bad choices, but they are validated by their fame. Since Oprah adores living, she shares what the sta- current stars are giving, but it's just another child with an adult name. Even Deepak gets to sell the big one that we all belong to since time begun, while Ganny, well, Gary says to align your soul, plus job and personality to win life's game. Those seekers of what's not sought require something to be swallowed or bought. Value is rated by debit card dollars. Freedom is wearing your Facebook colors. With all their gall to call it a spiritual journey, the saints and philosophers they strive to resist, they label this meandering spiritual path with blessings bestowed by Christ the atheist. Allowing life to live Somehow through you, it's confusing being directed by people who don't know what to do. Even the ones who fill the shoes of their dad say that abandoning father was required to be glad. VP Joe says he believes in the souls of God, but he's a worker merely stumbling ahead. Perhaps we only gain by accepting a loss and avoiding believing in ghosts so you can believe they are dead. As for referring to love as divine, we need to credit God with hatred too. If God gets credit for murder, then war is a godly thing to do. Keywords. Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, whoop, <laughs> I put that down there, part? <laughs> Jimmy tells our, a rare story of honor, <clears throat> how loyalty can be rewarded. I hope that if Jimmy weren't so well paid, could his integrity be afforded? afforded? Some mentioned learning to love better, but it's just a word with the letter L. How does a person actually love a little bit? What if your expression of love makes the other person feel like... I hope the book inspires and improves, but it's got a bunch of God can't be understood. After talking to God for 4,000 years, we've proved that God may be more bad than good. Rescue puppy poo-poo makes the world a better place. Women believe what you should do comes after the race. 
someplace, not seeming to lovingly realize that whether or not that rescue puppy dies could have been prevented by opening the perpetrator's eyes, not with revenge or or punishment. You've already missed the chase. The world's a better place when you have prevented that person from creating that rescue puppy face. People like to moan together in love's commiseration. It's when you allow your feelings to stimulate your hormone glands that create that saintly, heavenly consecration. This chemical carrot reward is available to every human. So what goals you choose to look toward decide the actions to reward. Then <laughs> that you'll be that you'll be doing. If you choose to be a dentist, you'll You'd better enjoy bad breath. That nasal pain will produce your pleasure, similar to crystal meth. And if you enjoy telling lies, you obviously are wired to despise. Each person's priorities are hardwired. Rewards, (laughs) rewards, rewarding those efforts that need to be desired. A better title would be Many Cloudy Paths. Discovering what discovery doesn't uncover. I don't want to piss off Oprah as a writer. I'm not her usual whiner. I'm a Zen fighter. Although she supports the womanly of men, hopefully she'll discover I have uncovered being human. The story of the Level 1 album by American Zen takes place, of course, in Salt Lake City. The story takes place there, but the recording was also done there. Uh, the album was recorded a year or two after the songs were recorded and the events were kind of phasing into other things. The uh, first album took place over the first year that I was in Utah and it was kind of a battle. I wasn't received entirely well. So the Mormons weren't anxious to have a long-haired California Buddhist hippie teaching Shaolin Tai Chi in, <laughs> in their park. and churches, and community centers, and uh, high schools, and junior highs, and elementary schools, and uh, yeah, I I ended up, uh, well, the Mormons, and eventually, uh, I did did accept me, but during the first album, we were still in contention. I was getting uh, knives in my door and notes telling me to go back to California, you know, and uh, pesky Mormons, they they, they had passed the word out that I was, I guess, anyway, but Ended up befriending them. Ended up making lots of. Oh, that's a lot. That's down the line. So the first album, I'm still in contention with them, pretty much. I think um, they they'd caused us to lose jobs and money. They they backstabbed us and worked behind the scenes to make life very difficult for us while we were there. So that's what the first album is about: having a one year old child and starting in a in a town where I thought I was going to have advantages and turning out to have nothing but disadvantages, including including the weather. Huge mistake going to Utah. So the, I've made a few mistakes in my life, and uh, that move was one of them. So anyway, but, you know, I ended up being there for 10 years, and I made something out of it and got a lot out of it. But uh, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, you know, if I spent a year in jail and I wrote a, a couple of movies and a book, you know, would we say it was a good thing I was in jail? <laughs> I don't want to look at life that way. But I, I you know, anyway, making value out of my suffering. So, but I would like some value to come out of my suffering. So anyway, getting back to suffering in Salt Lake City in 1992. Uh, It was started, the first song I think was written in 1991, but the rest of the album was written in 92, the first half probably. The um, next album, the Christ Killer album, is actually when I made peace with the Mormons and they accepted me and took me in and, uh, you know, then things got really good because I had some high profile students, Tai Chi students who were very high in the church 
and so they they were able to pass edicts down that went all the way down to the rank and file about leaving me alone being nice to me. <laughs> and when that happened, things, things really improved, and I, I give thanks to the Mormons for making life really wonderful there for some years there. Okay, um, so the the album is about that, that first contentious year of trying to find a job and getting fired and, and forces fighting behind the scenes. And in those days, women weren't allowed to work at night either, so it was really hard and, and so even I, so it was, it was difficult. We were having, it was an interesting year and I got a lot of interesting stories to tell. Oh, one of the stories that I could tell is we, uh, I actually published a book at the same time I was recording this that first year. And, um, we, um, made a kind of a hardcover book, a limited number, like only a few dozen of my very first poetry book, Autumn Flavors. And we did a really nice job. Actually, Michelle did most of the work on that, as I recall. Uh, she was, I had trained her, started her, and she was my intern. She was, I got her to understand how to do photocopying and work as a press, you know, and a printing press kind of thing. Well, the modern version of one. And uh, actually, and she became very adept at it, did really well, and uh, had a, got a 15-year pen pin from Xerox, actually, the corporation, because she, she actually worked for them for 15 years. But anyway, that was during our marriage. But anyway, getting back to this this thing, we, I actually published this book, and for some reason this story came out, and I think it'd be real quick. I'll tell it real but Well, it really deserves a little more time, but I can elaborate another time. This place, when we were publishing my book, one of the printing presses we were going to there, like a Kinko's or something, um, was downtown, and there was an alley. And in that alley, the bats would come during the summer, and they would breed, and they would have babies and everything, and then they'd go south for the winter because it was too cold for these little, little you know, for them to survive, I guess, in the cold. It was so cold there in Utah. So they would actually eat for the winter. But unfortunately, some of them would have children or babies, and uh, they weren't capable of flying and coming with them, so they would be left behind. And I think this may have been an annual thing, or at least it was that first year we were there. There was a bunch of baby bats without parents just falling out, da- falling down the alley, you know, of... Uh, of um, when you don't have any food, <laughs> they're dying of hunger. So poor guys, and um, and so we rescued one of them, and uh, actually we rescued a couple. But did the one I'm thinking, the first one we rescued was really in itself a trauma because you know we're humans and we're trained to think that bats are evil, and it was kind of scary. And, it, and it's a mouse, it's a wild animal, and it's got teeth and claws and everything, and but it's got wings too, and it was so cute, and it was just like any little puppy, you know, you just feel so tender towards it. This this little bat baby <laughs> and we nurtured this bat baby we, were, we called up the specialist and we talked to the guy at the university and he said we got to mash this we got to put some bugs in there we did we did whatever we had to do we kept him alive until finally this bat expert came by and he says wow you're able to keep alive i'll take him you know because I, I guess there's a I, like baby birds there's a high success of failure or high rate of failure in keeping baby birds alive and um I've been the victim of that sorrow before. <laughs> There's a story. But uh, I even wrote a poem to one of my ba- birds I tried to save. <laughs> Little baby bird that didn't make it. Back to this story. Okay, so in this story, we got this little bat, and he survived so well, we gave him to a bat keeper. And this guy, his hobby was bats. And uh, so we actually rescued a baby bat <laughs> while, while making my first poetry book. While we were recording this album, level one equals peace of mind. And that's so important, <clears throat> this album. American Zen, I created it, American Zen. It's a Buddhist journey. It kind of shaped itself in that first year. I, said, I kind of just, it was an inspiration. It was, it came, it, it happened. It was a my creativity being shoved into that hostile environment and it created American Zen. 
And American Zen is all about rising up eight levels to spiritual... Actually, the way I invented... in. I don't. Maybe I'll change my mind. But the eighth level is really the afterlife, and uh, and the yeah. And so we'll we'll get to that in another story. The afterlife. But anyway, this first album is about peace of mind. It's about just having a family. It's about just having. It, there's poetry on it about my daughter and everything, and it's really cute. There's eleven songs and eleven poems, and it's about raising a family and starting off, you know, and, under rough circumstances, but feeling that love. It's not a real bitter album. It's it's got a lot of love and and hope, and 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 it's a positive album. It's me, and, and we we. But it was it was it was difficult. But that's how that's the album. American Zen Level One from a Haas. Style birth to a to a kind of a beautiful message and peace of mind is what we were looking for and that's the theme of the song. In fact, the actual song "Peace of Mind" was so sad I didn't put it on the album. Can you believe it? The theme song "Peace of Mind" to the "Peace of Mind" album. I couldn't put it. It was the first song on the album and I couldn't do it. It was so sad. So I recorded the album with another song, "Peace of Mind" number two. I thought, okay, that's my. I can come up with a. There's a whole story on that. And I created this song, "Peace of Mind" number two, based upon my life, but I inserted it into the first song place first song on the album to really drive it along and it really worked and it's a very inspirational song it was everything that I intended it to be which shows that sometimes without reacting to something I can force myself into a song but I still had to write it about true events but the peace of mind number two was actually me kicking myself into to write another title song this album needs a hider but the song was so beautiful that I included it on the second album so the second album of American Zen level two actually has peace of mind number one on it and peace of mind number two is on the first album. <laughs> is that confusing? But anyway, the album's fun. Go get it. American Zen. Level one equals peace of mind by American Zen. The guitarist, uh, the acoustic guitar, flute player, singer, songwriter is me as the hippie coyote. The guitarist is Rory G. I do some really good slide guitar work on that album. And then the bass player is Tom Calder, and the drummer is Steve Hickson, and uh, it's a fun record, and yeah, go check it out. I'm, I don't know how to plug my album. I like listening to it. I still like listening. Hey, if you can listen to an album almost on a daily basis for 30 years and still love it, it's got to be good, right? Richard Del Connor, philosopher, poet, and I'm going to perform for you, Starting Over Again, written by me.
Starting over again by me, Richard Dukater. Well, I opened Marcus Aurelius, Aurelius, um, and uh, I've read his name for decades, but never really mentioned it. And I just opened it up, and I thought, well, what am I going to talk about today? I obviously could have planned it more, but I, I'm, I was planning it a little bit. I was thinking ahead, and uh, and I opened the book up, and I. Looked at my highlights. I got highlights all over. So I, rather than randomly just looking at the paragraphs, I look at my highlights, which is why I do that. And this one is a very harsh statement, and and it's gonna it's gonna create it's trigger warnings. I'm sure trigger warning here, but it's a, it's a very interesting statement, and somehow it seemed kind of appropriate to what I'm doing here, and I'm I'm kind of in a way uh, stirring up some sand about people you know, not really get to the source of the problems and the source of the pain and stuff. And, and this is a very interesting way of looking at it. <clears throat> I, I'm, okay, here we go. Here it is. This is from Marcus Aurelius from the Meditations. And it says, and I'll explain it when we're done. Get to the end of it before you decide what your reaction is. The slave who flies from his master is a runaway. The law is master and he who breaks the law is a runaway. Vexation, anger, and fear mean refusal of something past, present, or to come. Uh, you know, you're, you're, so in other words, he then who fears or has those type of fears or is even angry is a runaway. So in other words, all of us who are vexed with fear or anger or refusing to cooperate with our with our environment are all running away from something. We're all we all feel that we're and, and like I said, hear me out on this because it's really a, a beautiful statement. It's saying that whatever we are a slave to, we're fighting against. So if you could figure out your the source of your anger, your your own enslavement, you can be free. So in other words, so people who live in fear or 
grief or anger are running are running away from something. And it says here you can run, be running away from something in the past, the present, or the future. It doesn't matter. But you're a slave to it in your mind. So, um, yeah, that's a, a, an interesting way to put it. But I have to agree. I, I understand what he's saying. And, and I'm breaking free of that in many ways, too. In terms of um, my five souls concept, uh, when you get down to the uh, fourth soul, that's where you really have ultimate choice. And... We don't. We should choose to not be runaways, and we should, which means choosing to not be enslaved, so that we want to run away. I think that's really what it's all about. Well, considering we were talking about the album Level One Equals Peace of Mind, you should go visit AmericanZen.org. AmericanZen.org is the official website of American Zen, and. Unlike most of our websites that I made in WordPress and are all crashing on some old GoDaddy servers until I transfer them over to a new account somewhere else right now. I'll be getting to it soon. <laughs> but this one's still working, AmericanZen.org, because it's an old-fashioned HTML site I made back in 1999, and I've, reviewed, I've kind of like revised it and upgraded it a few times. But this is a website that I started in 1999, telling the American Zen journey story and H year as we released a new album I would add to the um, the website and saw so the poetry and the stories and all kinds of things are there and it's a whole bunch of stuff hundreds of pages but now I'm not sure what to do with all this uh, do I do do I read just anyway we'll talk about it. but anyway go check it out and see it while it's there this is a really cool this is the original site that I built as the as the band grew from 1999 and released all their albums uh the yeah the first starting with level one in two thousand five, um, level two I think was two thousand seven, uh, level three was two thousand eight, level four was two thousand ten, and that's when uh, my computer blew up and the family blew up and I became homeless. <laughs> so, but in fact, there's one other American Zen album that's been released since then. I recorded it right here in my truck where I'm recording from right now, my Tacoma truck. Um, and that was, that's the end of the line album. And then you can see me, that was one of, yeah, it recorded right here in my truck. And I'm real proud of that album. See, once again, he even shoved me into a little truck with a, with a, with a, a four track recorder. Nice one. I got a, uh, a really nice four track professional recorder and recorded it right here in my truck. Actually, I recorded a few things outside of the truck, but most of it in here, uh, the front cab, here's where I did the vocals. This is Studio A. And then Studio B in the back there is where I recorded the guitars and bass, uh, except for the last lead guitar. I found a friend of mine who was vacating an apartment. It was completely open, and during the day, all the neighbors were at work. And so I brought my Marshall in and my guitar, and I turned it up to 11. I mean, literally, you know, just cranked the thing up as loud as I could and blasted it and cut some of the guitar solos on that album. Uh, listen to the one on... Um, oh, yeah, yeah, anyway, you'll, you'll be able to tell. <laughs> There's one guitar that's just, just yelling and screaming. It's not mixed, though. That album sounds terrible because it's not finished. It doesn't even have horns or strings or anything on it. I mean, it sounds kind of cool the way it is, or keyboard, no keyboard or anything it's it's just uh bass drums and guitar by me and, and a little flute at the end um so anyway yeah yeah that level where were we um this is supposed to be a website ad go to americanzen.org and have some fun oh for the end song i think this might only work in spotify i can stick a song or a sample and then you click on it and go to the song um 
on the end of this thing, I'm going to put a song from The Rich, Live in Venice. It's hard to find that album because I'm a, I'm a nobody record company, Shaolin Records. So iTunes and these companies, you know, they, they always put me low in the search. You can, you can type my name exactly and I'll still be on the second page. <laughs> They're really blackballing me, it seems, sometimes. But anyway, um, yeah, The Rich, live in Venice. And uh, yeah, check it out. Check out that record. I love that record. It's, it's really cool. And there's a few extra samples I threw on there, some other recordings, too, and, um, that I got some stories about. So The Rich, live in Venice. Well, The Rich is the band, Live in Venice is the album, and uh, I'm playing bass and vocals and writing most of the songs. I actually, we co-wrote some songs on that. It's about three or four songs that are co-wrote by us together. <clears throat> I wrote one song with the, with the drummer and uh, one song with the guitarist, and then the guitarist and the drummer had played together in another band. They used to work with that Mark guy, the guy who was... Um, in the first Superman, Jimmy, the reporter. He was in a rock band, or whatever they were called. And both these guys were in that rock band with him. And uh, they had written a song, and uh, I, um, I finished it off. They, they had the, the um, what they had? They had the music, and then I added lyrics to it. And it's really cool. It's called Take What You Can. So, yeah, that was written by the, all three of us. And, and I really enjoyed that. I love adding to other people's creativity. The only reason I'm doing everything myself is I can't find anybody to work with. <laughs> but, hey, if you want to work with me, call me. <laughs>